You know, what I'm going to talk about today, it's not a very popular topic in churches. In fact, I did a survey, different web servers with sermons by the tens of thousands. And as I looked up the subject that I'm talking about today, I only found out of, say, 50,000, I only found two on the subject that I'm going to talk about today. And there's a reason for that. Uh, even in our own website, uh, LAICC, even in my own archive, I've had to look back a couple of years and say, have I really dedicated the time to talk about what I'm going to talk about today? And the truth is, I have not. It's been a while. And there's a reason why people don't talk about it a lot. You see, in Christianity and churches, there is an elephant, big elephant, in the middle of every sanctuary. People know that the elephant's there, but they don't like to look at it. And today we're going to talk about hell. It's not something that I love to talk about. But I realized as I was preparing this study, it's something... I need to talk about, that we need to talk about. You see, as we talk about hell, and the title of our lesson today is Hell No. (laughs) And in no way do I want to speak vulgarity or anything. You'll get the message at the end. But yeah, I'd like to pull the chain a little bit. This will go up on our website, and for all of you that are watching on the web, I want to say hello to you. You can turn around and say hello to everybody on the web. There's there's sick people that come to church on their computer. And but yeah, this is gonna go up and the whole point is to get people's attention. But there's a reason why people don't like to talk about hell. Because it's not pretty. In fact, I I did some research and the truth of the matter is, even in Christian circles, many people don't believe in hell, including ministers. As clear and as vivid as it is in Scripture, there are people that don't believe it. Or they try to reconfigure it in saying, well, hell is hard times in life here on earth. When you go through a difficult time, you're going through hell. No, that's not the truth. In fact, when you weigh in on what Scripture teaches about hell, it will strike horror in your soul. And so, if there are any little children here today who want to encourage parents, maybe you should take them to Kingdom Kids. I'd encourage you. You know, there's an age appropriateness for every message. And... Not that I'm ashamed of what I'm going to talk about, not at all, but I don't want any young children to have nightmares. But for our preteens and for our teens, uh, this is age appropriate for you. This is necessary. There's a survey in the United States a few years back taken. 90% of our population here in the United States, survey in the USA, 90% of the population in our country believe in a supreme being. Now, they go by different names, but in a supreme being, 
76% believe in heaven in our population of the United States. Now look at the difference. 50% of our population believe in hell. Why the drop? Well, you'll know at the end. But to, to look at this fact, if half of our population believes that there's no consequence, you can live any way you want with no retribution, with no consequence. And maybe that explains why in our country such a large portion of our population have no fear of what they do and the effect that it will have on their eternity. And so people live with disregard. They do not fear. And they do not think what I do today will affect where I spend eternity. And that's serious. It even challenges us in church circles. Is hell real? Is hell even real? You know, there's a proverb. Proverb 14, verse 12. It's up on the screen. Most of the scriptures will be on the screen today. Because we're going to hit a lot. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. What Solomon is talking about here is there are ideas, man-made ideas, like this one. All good people will go to heaven. That's a pretty popular one. If you're a good person, you'll go to heaven. Another one is, well, I treat people the way I want to be treated. I follow the golden rule. And so, for that reason, Jesus talked about the golden rule, I think. So, I should go to heaven. I'm better than a lot of people. I live a better life than a lot of people in church that go to church. You know, I used that one when I was growing up and kept me in some ways from going to church seriously because I saw hypocrisy. Just one warning. Don't let anyone in their hypocrisy keep you from God. That's their deal. God will still hold you accountable for what you do with your life. But this is the idea, and people think these ideas. But in the end, it leads to death. The eternal issue. What is the eternal issue? Man was created to last forever. We were initially created to last forever. And we have an option. You can live, have an eternal life, or an eternal death. Those are the two options. And why does hell matter? Well, see, without hell, there's no consequence. What do you do with the Hitlers of the world? What do you do with the Muammar Gaddafis of the world who walk out and murder people in cold blood? One woman, she's a pastor of a Christian church, wrote, I don't believe in hell except for child rapists. Yes, they should. And for them, I believe that there is a hell. Kind of a paradox, her twisted faith in what the Bible teaches. And there's two things. There's a physical death, according to the Scriptures, and that is the end of your carnal life, your body life. And then there is a spiritual death, and that is separation from God. 
There is no concept in the Bible that talks about you cease to exist. That doesn't, it's not in Scripture. We're eternal. And it's understandable why people don't believe in hell. No one likes the thought of it. I don't like the thought of it. Truth be told. But it's not a question whether it's popular, whether we like it or we don't. We have to decide, will we, will we follow what we believe in a truth? An absolute truth. Regardless of our feelings. And as I said, you know, there are not many sermons, even in our church. I, I checked the last two years, and the, the eight regions that form part of the L.A. International Church of Christ, I only found one, including mine, in the last two years. Now, I will mention in a lesson, but a lesson devoted to this topic. It's negative. That's why people don't talk about it. And the truth of the matter is, it doesn't market well in church. I mean, if I would have told you, hey, you're going to church today and we're going to talk about hell. Hey, I really want to go. I'll sit in the front row because I want to hear this lesson. No. Good thing I didn't tell you, right? Some of you watch online and kind of do other things. You know, and I appreciate the church, and we've really worked hard at this to try to be relevant to the 21st century. And we work hard at that, and I appreciate the fact that a lot of churches are trying very hard to be relevant. We need to be relevant. And a lot of churches are savvy. They know what will draw people to God, and they use what will draw people to God in their messages, in their lessons, and that's savvy. I appreciate the savvy. But, and, and the truth of the matter is, church should be a place where it's positive. But on occasion, you need to weigh in on the truth. And today is that occasion. I thought, well, maybe we should do a series on hell. Yeah. No, it's just today. You're saying, thank God. Because our attendance probably wouldn't be that great next week if we talked about it again. But regardless of how we feel about it, whether we like it or not, whether people like it or not, whether it's popular or not, whether it's marketable or not, we want to be relevant as a church, not just in 2011, but we want to be relevant for all times and all places. And that means you have to talk about the truth. As hard as it is to hear. People don't like the idea of hell because the Bible is so vivid on the subject. This is what creates the distaste, the avoidance with hell. But in the absence of preaching and teaching about hell, the church is left lukewarm and apathetic about eternity. And I want you and me and all of us to weigh in on this. We cannot be apathetic about truth. And we have to take an honest look at the people that are around us, whether they are saved or whether they are lost, according to the Scriptures. And if they are lost, where are they headed? What are they going towards? What will be their eternal consequence? And today we're going to weigh in on that. 
And you know, for some people, grace is a motivator, right? And all of us would say, yeah, grace motivates me. But for some, grace doesn't do the job. And God knows that grace doesn't do the job, so what does He do? He gives us a message of judgment. Judgment works for me as a motivator, particularly when I'm not doing well. You know, when my heart's a little hard and I'm a little cynical and, yeah, grace, I've heard it a lot. And, but then you start to talk about the reality of judgment and fear strikes my core. Even as a, even as a young teenager, I remember seeing the black clouds, the lightning and the thunder up close striking within 100 yards of my person and just the mm, the pop the bang and the fear of judgment would strike my core and i would have to think about my life at 16 years old i had a very severe car accident while under the influence it struck fear in me i wasn't ready to meet God. And I knew without even any knowledge of the Scripture, I knew that I was not ready to face judgment. And it motivated me to make changes for a little while. They didn't last. This is not until I was 21 that I fully turned my life over to Christ. But, you know, there's a paradox some believe in part of the Bible. If you do not believe in hell, here's the paradox for you. You don't believe in the Bible. No, 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 no. I do believe in the Bible. No, you don't. You see, the Bible is an all or nothing. And many people try to do that. They like to take parts of the Bible and agree with it and say, I like grace. I like heaven. I don't like hell and I don't like judgment. It's a package. And here's an interesting thing that you'll find. Is hell, is hell even relevant in the Bible? You know, in the New Testament alone, there are 162 references to hell. Jesus discussed, described, and warns us about hell 70 times. And this is way more than He talked about heaven. But boy, we talk about heaven, we talk about the pearly gates, but you know one of the prevailing messages in the Scriptures? Hell, but somehow when we read the Bible, we bounce over that. We look past that. We're not looking past it today. We've got to weigh in. But you know, what really makes the cross more significant is Jesus came here on earth to save us from hell. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 then he said, this is the day of judgment. Then he, say, he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, look at this passage at the very end. It says here, prepared for who? What was hell prepared for? It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was not created for man. It was never intended for man. It was intended for angels who rebelled against God 
Some of them on purpose, some of them were deceived by those lead angels. And they questioned God's authority and His position. Lucifer being the archangel who led the rebellion. Hell was created as a place of punishment for them, not for men. Hell was never intended for man. This is the place that was intended for man. Jesus says it in John 14, verse 2. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. Same word, same verb usage. Prepare. Same as in Matthew 25. See, hell was prepared for spiritual beings like the angels who rebelled. Not for man. But heaven was prepared for man. But it's a sad truth. Men end up going there. Now, we're going to need our Bibles for this part. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Hope you brought your Bible. Need to bring your Bible. You never know. It's more important than your American Express or your driver's license. Although you don't want to drive without your driver's license. But this is a very sobering passage that we're going to read. Where is hell? Where is it? We're going to get a a vivid picture here of where hell is. In verse 19, we'll begin. And in a few, uh, in a couple of months, we're going to watch a, a mini movie on this parable. Or not parable, actually story. There's big question about whether this is a parable rather than a story. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple, verse 19, and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar came, when the beggar died and the angels carried him off to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let them, let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. In other words, they have the Bible to warn them. Verse 30. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, 
they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Where is hell? Well, you get the picture here with with the rich man when he looks up. Where is he? Scripture defines hell as below. A place below. Underneath. Before man knew what was at the core of the earth, Scripture talked about a place of sulfur and of lava flow. And I want to show you a a, a picture of a guy who explored and went down into the mouth of a live volcano and got within a hundred feet of a boiling pot, a large one, of lava flow. Let's take a look. He had to wear a flame-retardant suit, not because of the possibility of lava flow bouncing up onto him, but rather the radiating heat was so intense. Ask firemen about heat radiation. You don't have to be in the heat to feel the heat. A very strong sense of heat. Temperatures run in a live volcano of the molten rock that's melted between 13 and 2400 degrees Fahrenheit. Your oven at home will not reach those temperatures. It's unbearable. It is a place that is horrific. And as the rich man is describing it, he says here, he says... In verse 24, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger with a drop of water to relieve the pain. Just a drop of water will give me some type of relief. Because I'm in agony here. He just arrived and already he can't take the heat. Was his problem being rich? No. His problem was his wealth turned him into God. And that's the problem with wealth today is it makes you feel like you are God. You don't need God. You've got your security. You've got your faith. You've got what makes you secure. You don't need room for God. You are God. You and your credit cards. You and your buying power. If you get sick, you go to the hospital and you get well. The worst of it all is this rich man, every day as he walked in his house, he lacked perspective. He saw Lazarus laying there, did nothing to help him. You know the inspiring thing is about Lazarus? 
Lazarus had a relationship with Abraham. In spite of his suffering, in spite of the bad card that he got dealt in his life of suffering and of torment, of a bad situation, he put his faith in Abraham. He said, Father Abraham. There was a relationship. That's why Abraham pulled him close. He said, finally. See, Lazarus looked to Abraham for faith. He trusted God just as Abraham did and said, you know, in spite of this, I trust that you're a good God. I trust that you're going to make things right. I put my faith in you because this life, there's no hope in this life. If you want to look at it from a humanistic point, this guy was living, quote unquote, hell. Dogs having to have compassion on him. No, the rich man went to hell. And he was full of conviction after he was there. Boy, he wanted to evangelize his family desperately. Please send someone to my house. And why did he want some? Because he knew his brothers were heading in the same exact direction. Where are you headed today? Where are your friends headed today? Where are the people around us who think they're God headed today? This is a real hard message. Look at the next passage we're going to look at. In Mark. Mark chapter... 9, in verse 42. We read here, this is Jesus talking again. Chapter 9, verse 42, and, it, and if someone, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would have been better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. Verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where the worm never dies and the fire is not quenched. See, for people that were listening to this in the first century around Jerusalem, there was an actual place where they burned all the refuse, all the trash, Everything. It was a disposal. And the fire never went out. The smell, the stench. So when Jesus spoke these words, that's where they went. The word was the same. That place. Outside the city gate. Where they burn everything. That's where. People who cause others to sin. Now as Jesus trying to promote or maiming ourselves to stay out of sin? No, that's not the message. The message, though, is take sin seriously. There is a consequence for sin. 
And our world today takes it so lightly. Pornography and those that promote it and promiscuous shows and programs and music and vulgarity and and sensuality. The world pushes it. And you know what's going to happen to those pushers of sin, of young kids that just get sucked into it? They will burn. And the fire will not go out and the worm will not die. This is a quote from Isaiah. The Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament, there's reference to hell. Sin is serious. And we as a church, and my friend, if you're here visiting, take sin seriously. Know what sin is. Don't guess. Hell is not a good place at all. I want no one that I know and I care about to go there. People I don't even know, I I don't want them to go there. It's horrific. But you know, as we talk about fires, we look at this, this video, you can watch a horror, this is not a video, but this is an image, you can watch a movie, a horror movie, and be appalled, but you know it's not real. It's fake. But you know, 9-11 was real. Do you know that people that were on the same floors as the fires that were started by the fuel that exploded, people 80 to close to 90 stories high in the World Trade Center leaped out of the building. These were sane people. They jumped out of the buildings because of the heat. The intense heat. Hell is intense. And you want no part of it. You want no one who you know to have any part of it. And this is why people don't accept all the Scriptures. Because the, the image is too vivid. It's too much. But if you believe the Bible, it's real. It's serious. Even this Scripture, the most beloved Scripture in the New Testament, we love the Scripture, it's quoted so often. But even look at what the Scripture is saying. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that Whoever believes in Him shall not, what? But have eternal life. Perish. What does that word mean? To be condemned. The second death. God sent Jesus to stop us. To give us another alternative when we've gone wrong, when we sin, and say no. And that's where our title comes in. Jesus came to earth to say Hell no for you, for me, for as many as possible. Jesus is saying to you, hell no. But will you listen? Will you believe? What's so bad about hell? Only wicked people are there. I don't know if you've ever been to a place that is filled with only wicked people. 
I had the, I'd say, this privilege to go to a place where it was all wicked people. When I lived in Mexico, we had a ministry, a prison ministry, in one of the worst prisons in the whole country, Santa Marta, just outside of Mexico City. We had a husband of uh, one of our members who was interested in studying the Bible. And he'd done some really bad things, was caught and put in prison for about 20 years. And I went in to visit him, and you go through so many security guards and gates and security checks, but when we got in, there was a courtyard, and it was visitor's day. And, you know, when I walked in there, they're all the prisoners, and they're there with their families, and I have to tell you, I felt extremely uncomfortable. Because this gentleman who I was studying the Bible with, who eventually uh, got baptized in prison, and then was released a couple of years ago as our brother in Christ in the church in Mexico City. But he was describing to me what some of these people that were in there had done. People had been murdered in cold blood, bank robbers, really bad people. And I felt even more uncomfortable. Let's just say when the Bible study was over and I had some time you know, to encourage him and we prayed, I wanted out. I did not want to be in that place any longer. And he told me, he said, you know, right now, if you think this is bad, wait till all the visitors leave. They're on good behavior because all their family and friends are here. When they leave, you don't want to be here. That's what hell's going to be like. There's no light in hell at all. You know, there's no life without light. We need light to live. There is no light in hell. There's never any mercy. Even the worst person has a little mercy. Right? You ever seen that terrible guy or person? Even they they got a little mercy. There's no mercy in hell. None. There's never any hope. None. You know, when you're going through your worst moment in your life and, and you feel like, man, this is, this is the worst. I don't know if I can go through anymore. You've got a little hope there. Can you imagine the absence of hope? None. It will never change your circumstance. There is no hope whatsoever. There's no love. There's no comfort There will never be silence. There's no rest in hell. Hell is a loud place filled with screams, gnashing of teeth. It is horrific as the Bible describes it. Not my interpretation. It's what it says. I would suggest you do your own Bible study on hell. Look it up. If you want to know what's coming after this life, I suggest... You wake up and you take a look at what the Bible says because what it says is scary. It's frightening. You will have more conviction about living the life that God wants you to live. Look at what this passage says. Revelation 14, verse 11. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. 
You ever worked about 24 hours, 48 hours straight, and just felt exhausted? And you know that thing you get in your mind, you say, man, if I could just get a little rest, just, just to lay right here, I'll just lay down and take a little nap, because I'm exhausted. There will be no rest. None. In hell. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. But listen to this passage. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, if you're tired, if you're exhausted from all that sin, from all that life that you've been living separated from God, if you're tired of it, come to me with your burdens and I will give you what? Rest. I need rest. Do you need rest? There's only true rest in Christ. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for what? Your souls. You know, some of our souls have been tormented. It's been hard. And there will be rest for those in Christ. You will be at peace. And he says here, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. Oh boy, you talk about compared to hell. It is the wonderfulest place. It is awesome. You can't imagine. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting sands. Now I want you to imagine this. This morning and yesterday when the storm passed through and you went outside and you looked around, what did you see? snow and the clear and the cool and the air and you just, this is awesome. There will be none of that in hell. The joy of a child's laughter you will never hear. The smile of a friend who you love will not be in hell. There's no smiling. There's no joy. Everything good Everything that's good will not be in heaven. There's nothing good there. Because God's not there. And that may be the worst thing about hell. The absence of God. You see, no matter how bad, no matter how bad this world is here, there's still a little bit of God here. And because of us, there needs to be a lot more of God here in our community. And that is our hope. That needs to be our awakening and our conviction. I want people to know that God is still alive. He's still here. And there is compassion. There is love. There is laughter. There is joy. There is hope. The truth is, God will send no one to hell but we send ourselves because we don't have time for Him or His Word or His Son. You're busy, right? You've got so much to do. You know, I'm 47 years old. Relatively good health. Thank, thank God. There's some things that I want to do. You know, I, I want to go to the Amazon jungle one day and cruise around. I want to see those weird animals. I want to go to the Everglades in South America, the Pantanal. 
I want to see that pink dolphin. I want to see the piranhas and the thousands upon thousands of exotic birds. I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to do that. You know, it might be nice to go to Fiji or Bali. That'd be cool to go to one of those exotic islands and just chill on the beach. I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to do that. Because I only got 70, maybe 80 years of life here on earth. And I'm busy. I got a lot to do. But you know what? I'm busy with really wanting to make a difference in people's lives. I don't have time to go on a cruise and all these other things. Maybe once or in a while, maybe something, but I don't have to go to the Amazon. I don't have to do that stuff. What I need to do is try to help people get right with God. That is the primary thing that our lives need to be about as disciples. Helping people get right with God. But, you know, Satan works really hard to get us so busy. Running here, running there. Trust me. If you want to go to the Amazon and you want to do these other things, you want to go visit the wall in China and you want to go see something, you know, you're going to have all of eternity to do everything that you want to do. That's even better than those things. You will have time to do those great things and to enjoy life. You will have time to do that. But you only have so much time here on earth to make a difference, to live a difference. Balance your priorities out. If you're visiting here with us today, I want to ask you what you're so busy doing. Does it have anything to do with eternity? Or are you going to be like the rich man lining your pockets but with disregard for what's really going on around you and the needs around you? Well, pastor, minister, I don't believe what you're saying. I don't believe it. Are you ready to bet your life on it? Are you ready to make a wager of your soul? See, because it's not me. It's what we're reading. Are you ready to bank on this? Are you ready to put your eternity on the poker table and lay a wager on it? In fact, we'll just say it right here. How about a million dollars? Are you ready to bet your life for a million dollars? 50-50 chance. You win, you get the million. You lose, no million, you die. Your life is over. You know, there's probably a few crazy people that do it. They don't like their life too much here on earth. But any sane person, any rational person would go, "Uh uh-uh. So you don't believe what I'm saying, right? You ready to bet your life on it? This is serious, what we're talking about today. It's where you will spend eternity. Why this lesson to the church? Look what Mark, the book of Mark says. 16, verse 15. And He said unto them, His disciples, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth 
and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be what? Damned. I put the King James Version there because that's the word that's used, damned. There's no worse word in the English vocabulary than damned. You may think there are worse words, but that is the worst word. You know why? Because what you're saying to someone or something is you are separated from God for eternity. There's no worse state. There's no worse condition. You can't say anything worse to somebody than you are damned. That's the worst. But you know, how can a good person be damned? There are good people out there. Would God damn a good person? It's not about being good. It's about whether you're saved or not. That's what it comes down to. Because in our vernacular, we'd say, He's good, He's good, she's good. God's none of us. Romans 3.23 There is no one, no one, not one, who is without sin. Not a one. Not even your great aunt, who was the saint of the whole line in your family. She wasn't. She wasn't that good in God's eyes. She's good to you because you're something else. (laughs) What are we to do about it? Why why do we need to hear this lesson as a church? Because we need to heighten and sharpen our conviction. Look at this place here. You know what this place is right here? That's the largest house in Los Angeles. The largest. 56,000 square feet. It's called the, the Manor. It's in, uh, uh, what is it called? Beverly Hills, but there's another even more exclusive. No, not Bel Air either. This, uh, Homely Hills. Homesley Hills, I think it is. This is the Manor. 56,000, 11 bedrooms, 16 bathrooms. Got a bowling alley in it, movie theater in it, all kinds of rooms. I want you to imagine this. Uh, I go there and I show up and uh, I think it's Miss, uh, Miss, Miss Sally. She's a widow of a very wealthy guy. She lives there, I think, by herself. And this 56000 she's trying to sell it. It's on the market, by the way, if you want to buy it. <laughs> cool $150 million. You can buy it. It could be yours. We could all go live with you. (laughs) I want you to imagine me going to the gate. They wouldn't let you to the door. The gate. Push the button and say, Hi, I'm uh, Minister Garcia, and um, I brought my bag with me right here, my roller bag. I want to live here. She'd say, "Uh, Who are you? Well, I'm, I'm a minister here in the L.A. Church of Christ, and I, I, I like, you know, you got marble floors. They're heated marble floors. The heat is underneath. No central air. It comes from underneath. You walk in the morning, cool morning, and, and you got the heat on your feet. I mean, this place is all... I said, man, I want to live like... I want to live in that house if I'm going to live anywhere. And the, and the L.A. Golf and Country Club is right behind it. Then I can just, if I'm going to live somewhere like that, I'm going to live near a golf course. Okay, so I can just walk. Right? She'd say, 
Who are you? You can't live here because I don't know you. Who lives there? Only family. You know what Jesus is going to say? And what he did say, he prophesied it, said it. Apart from me, I never knew you. You see, it's not about being good or bad. It's about being family. Some of you think you're family. Because you come to church regularly. The question is, are you in Christ? Are you in the relationship with Jesus? Does He know who you are? Because see, I know who she is. I know with who Miss Selling is. I've I, I seen her face. seen her on TV. I know you. She say, no, I don't know you. You can't come in here. We have no relationship. And let me tell you, this place is nothing compared to what heaven's going to be like. This is that's low income housing. Okay. Revelation chapter twenty, verse fifteen. Revelation chapter fifteen. Or 20 verse 15 if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life he will be thrown into the lake of fire there are two books two very important books in fact they are the most important books in the whole universe number one is this book right here this is the first and most important book number two is another book and that book's in heaven and that book has a list of names Of those who have heard, believed, and obeyed. HBO. Just like the Bible says. They confessed, repented, and were baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of all their sins and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then their name is written in the book. You know, we've got people here that their names are in the book. It's awesome. Your name's in that book. That's all that matters. Not what career. The only thing that matters is your name in the book. And I want, Jesus wants, God wants, if you're visiting here with us, to get your name in that book. It's the most pressing issue you have in your life right now. Are you in the book? Well, I think I'm in the book. Uh, You don't want to doubt. You want to know it. And there is a way to know it. And it's not being judgmental. It's just hearing what the Word has to say. And, you know, I want to talk about this to the church because I believe some of us in the church need this lesson so bad because we have so many people around us that want to know the truth, but we don't have time. We're too busy. Thinking about the Women's Day coming up next Saturday. You know, you know you haven't really dedicated much time to getting anybody there. And it's been so long since you've studied the Bible with somebody. I mean, that always disturbs me when somebody says, it's been so long since I've studied the Bible, I don't know if I can. When Jesus died on the cross, do you think He was fully confident of whether He could go to the cross and die for our sins? No, not sure he was confident 
that he could do it. But he did it anyway. You know why he did it? Because the need was so great. It's not about you and your capability and your ability to, your savvy in order to study the Bible with somebody. I want to encourage you, take the faith principles, put them into practice, use them, study the Bible with people, give them a shot, give them a chance. I don't want just a select few to be able to study the Bible with people. Everybody can do this. Imagine the difference we could make. Imagine all the numbers of people we could snatch from the fire. If all of us would have a real conviction about eternity. And some of you, you're busy with a lot of stuff. You don't even have time to come to church on occasion. And you want to go to the mansion? You want to be with Jesus? You didn't have time for Him. You don't have time for His Word. But yes, He's a God of mercy. Yes, He is. To those who understand the priority, to those that that love Him, that say, you're the most important thing there is here in this life. You don't have to wait to heaven to come to that conviction. You can have it here. I want us to wake up as a church. There's so much I believe God can do through us. This lesson has woken me up. It's opened my eyes. I have got to talk to more people. We've got to make a bigger difference because where they're headed, I don't want them to go. It's their choice, ultimately. I can't force anyone, but I at least got to give them a chance. That's my responsibility. And I want to encourage some of you that are teetering and cynical about getting right with God. How long do you have? Really? You think you have all this time? You don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. Are you ready to face the consequences? Are you desperate to find what Jesus came to offer? And you know, we're going to close out here celebrating the communion. But you know what makes the most vivid picture of hell real? Jesus dying on the cross. Because I ask myself this question. How did Jesus endure so much? How did he do it? How did he suffer that way and keep on going? How could a human being endure this? How could he leave heaven and come here and live in this cesspool among so many sinful people and be crucified and tortured the worst time in all of history for someone to be assassinated? He picked that time. How did he do it? He must have known. He must have known. He must have been cognitive of the fact that if He didn't go, if He didn't suffer this way, where we would go. Oh, and what a motivator it was for Him. What a motivation to suffer whatever had to be suffered. You see, Jesus is the man that sees the train coming and sees you standing on the tracks and says, No! Hell no! Not here! I'll take the train. You get off. Let me save you.
Jesus is the man that sees the child running for the cliff in a desperate leap, grabs the child and saves the child's life and goes over the edge himself. That's our Jesus. That's what motivated him. The cross is so awesome. Why was Jesus so passionate? Because he knew about hell. And he's saying to you today, hell, no, not you. So when we take the communion, I want you to remember that. And if you're not in Christ, I want you to see what Jesus went through to save you.